400 billion a year is spent in filing fees. And then when you think about what AI can deliver, and we're just really at the very, very beginning. 2016, we doubled in size, and then 2017, we doubled in size again. The reason that they succeeded was because they were persistent and they were able to make that pivot. So the United States Patent Corpus is 32 billion concepts. You're listening to the Outsell Inc. for Startups podcast, where we cover the hottest startup companies in data, information, and technology. I'm your host, Ben Sampson, and thanks for joining us as we interview co-founders and CEOs talking about their companies and how they're disrupting and driving industry growth. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Bounce Sale for Startups. Hope, as always, you're having a great day wherever you are in the world. It's a nice cloudy day here in the San Francisco Bay Area as we come into fall. And as we come into fall, we come into more amazing startup companies. I interviewed Courtney Morris, the co-founder and president of Artifacts. I really like the name, and I'll get into that in the interview. Artifacts, what do they do. Ah, this is tough. How do I best put it? I've interviewed companies in the past that have made research more accessible, research more identifiable, searchable. Artifacts is very interesting because Courtney does a good job talking about how the length of time it takes to produce, just not just produce a piece of research, but get it recognized and out into the market and being used, takes six to seven years. It's a long time and by that time that the research is actually being used, much of the science and technology has, as you can imagine, drastically changed. And so what Artifacts has done is they've enabled blockchain technology to be able to give folks access to research while it's in progress. And so not only does it give you know somebody that could use this research access to it while it's in progress, but blockchain tracks all the steps that were taken for the research. So rather than just you know getting the end result, you get to see how the researcher came to that end result, which is really really powerful. It's kind of the equivalent of being a developer and coming into code without proper documentation. You're not really sure how anything works, and can, it can take a significant amount of time. And so the background is there. Artifacts has also created a incentive system for blockchain where they use tokens to actually incentivize folks to access the research, partake in the research, and, and offer citation. And so rather than, you know, again, this very long six to seven years of creating research, it's incentivized now. It's much faster. We can access the research at a much more accelerated rate. And it's empowering and inspiring young researchers as well to begin getting into that field. And so Courtney had a fantastic conversation with me about this, just around blockchain and what he's seeing, how they started Artifacts, his career history. Um, We are both ski bums and also got into a little bit of skiing, so we'll jump through that quickly. But really, he also has some amazing advice for future leaders. Courtney's held some very high up senior positions in many large companies that you would recognize. And he's done this now for both big and small companies. So he has some great thoughts for us on the end in regards to focus and solving a core problem. So I hope you greatly enjoy this interview with Courtney Morris, the co-founder and president of Artifacts. Enjoy. Uh, perfect. Well, let's start all the way at the beginning. I always like to ask founders what their childhood was like and if their, their parents fostered any kind of entrepreneurship 
Um, did you know early on that you had that entrepreneurial spirit? Just very curious about, you know, how you were raised and what your childhood was like. So I grew up in Salt Lake uh, out in Utah. And I mean, I'm really a ski bum at heart. Uh, you know, I worked in the mountains for many years, did some ski instructing, uh, waited tables through college in the resorts. I, you know, I ended up in the, you know, the business office at Snowbird. Um, and it was actually kind of during that time when I started my first company, um, I'd come up with a, a unique card game, you know, working with my younger brothers. I ended up having a bunch of them printed and we created a company called Games of Addiction, Inc. And we had this uh, card game called Rules, R-O-O-L-Z. Uh, we kind of said, as in this game, as in this game rules all others. Um, and, <laughs> you know, and of course, we didn't have any real money. So, you know, the printer I found could print and cut the cards, but couldn't collate the decks. So we ended up having collation parties where we did that by hand and they were hundred card decks. So we had the big tables lined up with all, you know, all the one yellow ones, twos, threes, fours, and then we're just kind of taking one at a time <laughs> um, and, you know, building these decks that we had then had stacked in the basement. It was, it was pretty funny. You know, I was way back, you know, we were, you know, before real internet sales models existed. And we had a, we did have a website, rules.com. And one of my cousins who was a programmer programmed a version of the game in Windows 95, I think. Um, oh, wow. And so we were, you know, out there, you know, I was making, you know, sales calls in the evenings to game shops around Salt Lake. And, you know, we did sell, you know, we had eBay up so because eBay was working. So we were selling there and we made Games Magazine top 100 new games in, I think 1997. You know, we sold a bunch of cards. I think I got my brother into a top-end business school because of the entrepreneurial component of that. And then we all kind of drifted off and did other things. We've um, threatened to now, you know, go actually order up a bunch of them in a spot that'll just show them up in boxes all wrapped and ready to go. <laughs> but, you know, we, we haven't done it yet, but... And what was the game? How did the game work? Well, I don't know if you... Are you familiar with Rook? A little bit. It's a a bidding game, you know, so you kind of have Trump and you've got, you know, and you're trying to take various elements of the point cards. And so this was a little bit of a spin off a Rook, but it had, you know, twice as many cards basically and uh, two suits of Trump, say a high Trump and a low Trump. And then you had to play those off of each other. And it was a, you know, actually a pretty good game. Um, And it got pretty popular with that kind of crew. And so... Every now and then I, an email will come across on an old Gmail account or, hey, can I get another one of these decks, you know? And I have a small little stack of decks that I still have kicking around that. I was, I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, you know, because they basically got printed in sheets, right? So I've got a couple of the sheets framed that are hanging around someplace. So, you know, that's, a, that's going back, back, way back. But, you know, it was fun. But, you know, I do, I do think about it. It's like, hey, you know, I had to just spin that up and, you know, get, a, get somebody to actually print those things out and shrink wrap them and have them shipped and not throw them up on Amazon. That's awesome. And, and going back to what you said earlier, I'm guilty as charged with the, the ski bum lifestyle as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, where do you use the ski? A lot of time in Tahoe. I really like Whistler, British Columbia. Did Jackson Hole recently and just those areas I really, really enjoy. Anything that has really good big backcountry, I, I really enjoy. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very much with you on that. Now, we've, I've, almost, I've almost shifted exclusively to backcountry. 
I uh, would occasionally do some resort days, but 90% of my skiing now is backcountry. Yeah, it was a big eye-opener for me when I discovered randonnée skiing um, and skinning up and, and just access to new terrain. Love that sport. I, I grew up, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, it's a very small town called Mount Shasta. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up there, um, right at the base of the mountain. So just uh, fell in love with those sports. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, you, you definitely got ski bum in you. That's great. We, but no, I mean, that's, we, we basically, I'm basically just skinning. It's either that or, you know, we'll do some snowmobile assisted or, you know, sometimes cat, sometimes heli, but for the most part, we're earn your turns the uh, hiking way. I love it. And maybe, maybe we need to have the next outsell event at a ski location. <laughs> I'd like to see you pull that off. Um, yeah. I'd be very happy had that London event been a sham because Chamonix is such a great spot. Now I'm really curious. So we have, you know, the skiing to the creating of the card game. And then we got to jump to a company called Artifacts with blockchain. <laughs> you know, so what's the journey there? Yeah. Well, one, it's a, it's a longer journey because as perhaps you have um, seen, um, our founding team is definitely above average in age versus most of your startups. So, you know, we're a bit more on the, you know, veterans in the business world versus, you know, the, you know, the fresh young faces. Um, but, you know, we all, uh, four of the five of us have worked at Thomson Reuters. And so we came up through, you know, that collection of businesses, but mostly around the healthcare and science assets. So the science business, which is now Clarivate, we, you know, we all kind of crossed there. Um, Kevin McCurry um, was the chief strategy officer of the science business. Dave Kachalko, I mean, he basically created the web of science with Gene Garfield, you know, going way back. Um, he ran EndNote, you know, made, he, he did the deal to buy Scholar One. Um, I was running, you know, another one of the businesses in the division for a while. Also, I had a chief strategy role in the healthcare business. And then I also ran global marketing, uh, you know, for the combined, you know, business ad science and healthcare. And then ultimately was overseeing all the product on the healthcare side. So, you know, we, we understood a lot of the issues in scholarly communications, you know, pretty well from kind of being in the belly of the beast. We all worked with Gene Garfield at some level. Um, not as much as Dave did where, um, you know, Dave was literally sitting with Gene turning these big pages on this index that he had created where you'd have to reference a number and then go pull another thing off the shelf and, you know, look. But you know, this was the very beginning of linking um, via citation. Mm -hmm. um, and so we understood very well Gene's vision of how attribution um, underpins that scientific process. And, you know, and I don't know – you, you may have seen, but there's a quote that we use in some of our material that kind of gets at the heart of, you know, how we come at this, which is the Mertonian description of normal science describes citations as the currency of science, where scientists make payments in the form of citations to their preceptors. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that notion of kind of paying it forward and providing attribution and, and you know, the implied linking that ultimately... Uh, you know, Google referenced uh, Gene, you know, in their whole search algorithm because they're basically just ranking things that pages that have the most links to them. And so in a very similar way, that underpins reputation for, for researchers. And, you know, so, so Gene, with Dave's help, you know, turned that paper index into the web-based tool that's the web of science. Um, but, you know, they were using the technology that was available at the time, you know, 
Clarivate has, you know, a, you know, they have a kind of a software assisted, but it's a very manual process that, you know, their, their system Pegasus was built in the, you know, eighties or nineties. Um, and, you know, limited to the number of journals they could cover was retrospective. It was a lagging process. You know, the, the kind of core manual nature of it means that breaks and errors are inevitable. Um, and there was no real conceivable way for them and for us at the time to consider any research outputs other than articles. Um, even though everybody knew there was a ton of value in that work. Um, you know, we pushed at the time and had success in improving, you know, some of the elements of it. I mean, Dave co-founded Orchid while we were at Thompson. Um, you know, Kevin mainly and I, you know, played a little bit of a role in helping push that strategy through. Um, we modestly expanded the journal coverage. We experimented with adding conference proceedings. Um, you know, marginal improvements, I'd call it. Um, but the legacy business, you know, it wasn't and isn't in a, in a realistic position to attack some of those other issues that remain. And so they've kind of remained under, they've remained unaddressed. So, you know, fast forwarding a bit, you know, we all got in there. We understand it. Dave has, you know, stayed in that space very heavily. He's continued to be a, you know, consultant on, you know, a lot of projects and in a lot of businesses in the scholarly comms space. And I went off and, you know, ran some, uh, ran some other businesses, did some other kind of product teamwork, um, and then Kevin went off into the financial technology space. Um, and this was an important pivot um, as it relates to the artifacts world, because as part of his time in fintech, where he was uh, chief strategy officer for, um, uh, for SunGuard, um, he had to get spun up on blockchain because that's, of course, where it really started to take root first. And he had to have an opinion on it. He had to understand it, to kind of know how it worked, you know, what its, you know, what its pluses and minuses were. And so as, as, he, as he spun up on blockchain and, you know, ultimately kind of let the two halves of his brain, you know, kind of commingle his, you know, background in scientific and scholarly research and communications and then this kind of new fintech world, he kind of had a little bit of an aha moment where he's all, hey, wait a second. Some of this stuff that we're talking about on blockchain see, it feels like it might be relevant and applicable to some of these problems that we understand in scholarly communications. You know, Kevin had been thinking through this and talking to Dave about, you know, how this might work. And then I started talking to him a bit and it came at a juncture where, you know, I had an opportunity to say, hey, we ought to really do this. Um, they'd been thinking about it. Um, you know, I came in a bit as a catalyst on, hey, let's actually do it. And so Artifacts was born. Um, and so we uh, did that in the fall of 2017. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the formal business with the incorporation, the websites, the, you know, starting to do product development, getting the product launched in March, you know, and then, you know, kind of going through you know, the rest of the steps necessary to get, kind of get us where we are now. How big is the team today, Courtney? Well, so there's the, uh, there's five um, founding members. Um, uh, I've mentioned Kevin and Dave, um, George Moore. Uh, he uh, is, he also worked with us at Thompson Words on the healthcare side. Marcos Blancos, who worked with Kevin uh, first at Bertelsmann, but then also at SunGuard. Uh, and so that's the, that's the core founding team. Then we have a technology team. It's about 10 people. 
Um, they're not all full-time. We're, we've got a full-time core team of um, really about six, but then round it out with different capacity and capability as we need them uh, because we've got a, a great partner who has you know, some of these broader you know, capabilities that we can tap into. And then we have um, a couple people working on the product side with us, and uh, then we've got uh, some part-time marketing and PR support. So that's you know, more or less where we are right now. I'm in our kind of our early stage. Perfect. And has there been a moment you talked about the ideation for this company and now it's up and live. And at any point, say in 2018, has there been a moment where you kind of realized that the business had legs or you've had some sort of incredible validation? Do you recall a moment where you just had an aha moment? Well, you know, I wouldn't say there's been a single aha moment. Um, You know, as we were, really diving in and getting serious about say, hey, we think there's a there there. Um, you know, we were talking to a lot of people. We've done focus groups. We've done surveys. We've, you know, talked to a lot of researchers, talked to a lot of institutions, talked to a lot of publishers. And, and in my view, there has been a, as versus an aha, there's been a continual understanding and appreciation for the concept, the approach, and you know, that, that, that feels like a better way. You know, I had early on been trying to test and see, hey, does anybody think this? Are we hearing anybody who says, hey, this is a crazy, stupid idea and there's no way it can work. We never, we've never gotten that from the feedback that we've been out there. And then as we, you know, the more and more we talk to researchers, you know, that's, that's such a validating point because, you know, particularly younger researchers, whose reputations take years and years for them to build. You know, right now, they can do research for two years. They could be a year in, in getting that into where it might get published. Um, then it gets published, and then it's got to go through an entire additional research cycle. It don't, not only has to get published, it has to be in a journal that gets indexed by somebody like Scopus or Web of Science. Then somebody else has to find it and incorporate it into their research process. That research process then has to result in a published and indexed article. And then, you know, six months later, Web of Science will index it. And at that point, their little citation count will go up. I mean, that could be six or seven years. I mean, in today's day and age, it just makes no sense that that should be the process for a researcher to build their reputation. It just, I mean, it's like, a, I mean, fundamentally it makes no sense to us. And so when we talk to researchers, they get it. They totally understand that this, you know, makes no sense. Why are we doing it this way? We'd love to be able to do this. But the, the core element in our model that at least, you know, the scan that we do in the, our understanding of the space that many of the projects and the, you know, the incremental elements of improvements or the proof of concepts around some of the problems in the industry, it, it's not just a technology problem. I mean, the technology is there now, but it's really, a, it's a recognition that this is a reputation, attribution, and incentive problem. Um, right now, researchers have no incentive to share their early work. It's mm-hmm. all downside. When we, when we talk to them, we hear this over and over and over. I don't share my work that's in progress because I fear that I'm going to get scooped. 
I'm going to lose control of my IP and it's a pain in the butt and what's in it for me. Um, where, because if they put something out there, that's so they put a data set out there on, you know, and you can do it. I mean, there are places, um, but, and somebody says, Hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm citing this or I send an email and says, Hey, this is good work. You know, it's like the tree falling in the forest. Um, if somebody gives you a citation now and there's no system there to count it, it doesn't matter. Is it there? And, and you know, the, the, the unfortunate reality is, is the answer is no. Um, there is no formal system now to count any attributions or any citations, any recognition for that work um, formally that matters to any tenure review board, to any granting application process, you know, other than what gets picked up now in Web of Science and Scopus. So if it isn't indexed by them, if it isn't counted, doesn't, you know, come into your profile, then, you know, it has no particular value. And we think that that ought to change. Um, and so we, you know, and, and that comes across loud and clear as we talk to researchers. Now, you know, your, your more senior researchers who, you know, their, you know, their position is secure, they've got tenure, they're, you know, they don't really care anymore, right? They don't, the additional citations to them are not meaningful. Um, their reputation is fairly solid. So, you know, they understand it, they get it, but the impetus for them to change is, is, is just not as strong, right? Um, so, the, so the younger ones is, is really going to be the, is going to be the first play for us. And just to make sure I understand the user story, and I like to put myself sometimes in the shoes of a, a user or a client of the company. <laughs> and so I'm a new researcher. I have very little of a reputation whatsoever. Um, and I can get on artifacts and I can publish my research with artifacts. I'm able to track that research ability to have attributes added to that research, citations added to that research, um, and have a platform where I can actually publish and broadcast myself in a way that's measurable. Is that, am I? Yeah, you're, you're right on the right track. I mean, Perfect. I mean at its core, um, we want to create the best research discovery and evaluation solution in the market today. So uh, in other words, we want to expand the world's scientific knowledge versus today's kind of constricting model and enable researchers to grow their reputation in real time, but based on all of their work, not just this severely limited and time-delayed subset of their work. Because, you know, that's the, you know, that's the reality of today's situation. That, you know, we've got, a, we've got a, a funnel slide that we use, but it shows, look, you do research and you build all these artifacts, um, you know, data sets and posters and presentations and observations and, you know, videos, images, microscopic images, whatever the case may be, you build all this work together and then basically you narrow it down, you narrow it down, you get to a manuscript and all that other stuff basically falls away. You've got a manuscript, maybe you've got some data tables that are included in there. And, you know, there are places where, you know, some publishers now, you know, will have an, an element where you could post a limited data set, you know, some very basic stuff. But for the most part, all that other good work just gets lost into dark knowledge because we're so focused on just an article. Um, and so all that, all that work that the researcher did doesn't contribute to their reputation. And then, and then let's say they did all this research and they proved the null hypothesis so nobody will publish it. Then what? 
Yeah. Now they've spent two years, you know, doing what could be very good work and it just kind of goes poof because it didn't get published. So now they've got to come up with something else and their reputation now is their building of their reputation is now set back. Well, that makes no sense. I mean, they could have, um, you know, along the way, let's say they're using artifacts. So they put up a, you know, they put up a protocol, they put up, um, you know, some initial data sets, they put up some different observations, you know, the next version of their data. And all these things now are linked together. They're accessible. They've been, they've been you know, hashed uh, onto the blockchain so that they can prove that they had them and they created them. Um, and so that there's a little more IP protection. But now, uh, let's say this thing doesn't ultimately get published. Well, okay, that's, that is unfortunate, but they, may, they did some good work along the way. But now it's much easier for somebody to come in and say, oh, wait a second. Okay, I get this. I'm going to, instead of going left, I'm going to go right. And now all of a sudden I'm on a different path that maybe has a different path to success. But guess what? Now this other researcher gets citation credit, attribution for the work that they've done, the reputation now automatically just right then it grows by one. And, and then if you're a funder, um, in today's world, if you are funding research that doesn't get published, I mean, again, all this stuff, all this work, all this data, all these observations, they basically get lost to dark knowledge because they sit on a laptop. They don't go anywhere. You lose track of what you spent research dollars for. And then somebody comes along next year and says, hey, I want to do the, I want to explore this same thing. You may refund the exact same research with the exact same result because nobody could find it. Nobody knew that it had been done. Nobody knew that it was unsuccessful. So, you know, we think that having access to all of these other pieces of good work, you know, in today's world, why wouldn't that be immediately findable, searchable, citable, and, you know, really, you know, really expand the velocity of research? Oh, I'm buzzing with questions. Um, <laughs> uh, this is really interesting. And so what is, you know, for something like this, what does the business model look like? Well, so right now, um, institutions, um, you know, companies, universities, you know, others are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on limited and retrospective indexes. So, um, you know, but there is a, a well-known, at least our team, we understand this business model very well, um, that there are, you know, university libraries, there are research institutions or life science companies, there are, you know, other corporate customers, you know, that license these types of solutions because they are critical for, uh, you know, their researchers, right? Mm -hmm. Researchers need to understand what's happening, what has been done, etc., in order, uh, you know, to, you know, start their research, figure out where they got to go, who are the experts, all that fun stuff. Um, and, you know, as soon as we have, you know, the, you know, the, the kernel of the network effect that we need, we are going to have the best real-time index in the market. So we'll have the most up-to-date, you know, research that is happening now type of, a mark, of, of an index. That doesn't exist today. And so what you're looking at when you are coming up with the latest um, published article in, you know, take, take any cancer um, of any type. When you get a published article 
that talks about treatment or efficacy or anything, you're looking at, you're looking at the state of the world four years ago. Mm-hmm. When what you ought to be looking at is, you know, what's happening right now? You know, why wouldn't you want to be seeing what people are seeing in, um, you know, current trials or current studies that are going on uh, versus through a publishing cycle that is so delayed and then the further six months to get it indexed so you can actually find it. Um, you know, that stuff doesn't make sense. And, it, and in a very real sense, um, can impact lives. Um, and so there's a, there is a strong impetus, a strong business case. Um, and, you know, we'll, we know how to tap into those dollars. And, you know, even just for example, life sciences, they, they pay a lot of money right now for fairly limited early signal detection solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, I discussed several times going, well, I'm just going to start going to all these conferences and picking up all these posters um, as people leave because they throw them in the garbage and then start indexing those and sell them to pharma. You know, this is the type of stuff that with this solution, you know, we could add a lot of value to their early signal detection models. Mm-hmm. I think about it, you know, I cover a lot of startups and especially, you know, a lot of biotech companies mm-hmm. out here in the Valley. And, you know, I'm thinking of an example of a company that my sister actually works for at Sage Medic. And what they do is they create technology that enables the testing of different kinds of chemotherapy before testing it actually on the patient. So it greatly accelerates the, the ability to actually apply the right kind of chemotherapy treatment and there's a huge amount of research that goes with that. And so part of their challenge is the discoverability of their research and why this process works um, and why the science behind it works. And so I even just put it through that lens of, of that kind of discoverability and getting recognized quickly. Because, you know, they talk about how, you know, sometimes their concern is that doctors are looking at research that's four years back <laughs> and not what's happened in the last, you know, year, what they've done in the last 12 months is incredibly impressive. And so I think about through that lens, sometimes what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's exactly spot on the early product that we've launched and then the other development that we're doing. Again, we think that this reputational element is the core incentive engine that will drive some behavior change. Um, and the surveys that we've done, you know, back this up. I mean, we've got 70% of researchers who say, yeah, you know, if we could, we'd share our work if we could get attribution for it. And the same 70% um, number says, and we would give attribution um, for others' work, you know, if we could find it and use it. Um, And so, you know, the early platform that we have is, is really trying to do what we say is kind of three simple things out of the gate. Be able to establish proof of, proof of existence and authorship and kind of confirm the provenance of your research at any time. Enable the sharing of this knowledge and content while helping protect and manage the intellectual property. And, and that includes once you say, hey, I want to publish it in a journal, I'm going to I'm going to transfer copyright to that journal. Look, that's, you know, that is up to the researcher. If they do that, that is, you know, you know, good on them if they choose to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, that intellectual property now sits with the publisher. We respect that. We, you know, and we will help that, you know, help that publisher manage intellectual property. You know, we're not, we are, dis, we are not 
um, a sci-hub type of solution where we are trying to get around anybody's copyright or any of that. And, you know, we think that the model we have is very consistent with current publisher um, processes in many ways. I mean, we, our value proposition to publishers is to say, hey, your submissions are going to be so much more powerful when you have this string of supporting material along with them, you know, help you with reproducibility, help you with peer review, um, you know, with a lot of these core challenges that, you know, publishers are getting beat up with. And then coming back, the third thing that we want to be able to facilitate for researchers is, you know, providing and receiving that kind of valid, you know, break proof attribution and, and assignment of credit at any point for any research output. And, you know, because th- again, today's solutions are error prone, they break, the linkages break, you change your, if you, you know, this is a, a big problem. If you, ch- if you're, if you change your name, if you get married and change your name or, you know, whatever, you know, for whatever reason, you know, good luck um, getting web of science to track those citations to you and name disambiguation, big issue, et cetera, et cetera. So we're really trying to make sharing easy, safe, and beneficial so that there is upside to share. And then that becomes part of the core behavior change. And does that make sense? That does. It really does. And my next question in the back of my head is just around um, funding. You know, was the company bootstrapped? Did you, did you um, access outside funding? And, you know, part of me is also going, it's a blockchain company. And sometimes you see these companies do an ICO and, and create a token. Sometimes you don't. And so just curious on, on funding for the business. Yeah. So we, uh, the five of us bootstrapped the, we basically bootstrapped enough to get us the first year. Okay. And so, you know, the product development we've done, the marketing we've done, the, you know, all the PR, everything, you know, that, that we have going on, we have self-funded. We are right now, um, in the middle of our first raise. So we are, you know, uh, hoping to, we've got several commitments. We're still trying to round out our first, you know, to our first target. And we hope to get that closed uh, next month, i.e. September. Great. Do you mind if I ask um, how big of a raise you're trying to do? Um, well, we're trying to do uh, 1.5 million for the first round. And that'll get us, um, you know, another year or so as we, um, you know, push through uh, further product development, further network development, and then um, then also some regulatory work as we, um, you know, move to uh, the element of, you know, the blockchain around, you know, what we think we want to do with the token. Do you, when it, you know, comes to that discussion around launching a token, what are, where are your desires or what are the, the aspects that you like about releasing a token? And are there any hesitations in the back of your mind in regards to doing a token offering? Well, so he, you'll be uh, you'll be breaking a little news here as it relates to how we've been. Um, so far, we haven't really talked publicly about our our token plan, but this is I'll, I'll give you the high level. So so far, we've talked about the what I call the real time index, right? It's the it's the what's happening right now researchers, you know, sharing and receiving, you know, their citations for stuff that's in progress. So as I laid out our goal to be the, you know, the best and the most comprehensive kind of research discovery and, and evaluation platform in the market, we obviously have to have a back file, right? 
because you know that historical element of research that has been done is so important and that's what you know web science scopus you know others have you know we could wait 10 years for our perspective or real-time index to produce 10 years of history right but that's a pretty long slog so we need to have or create a historic index that is at least as good or perhaps better than those that exist today mm -hmm. so so kind of thinking about that as okay how do we what can we do to really build a better you know historic index this is where we want to deploy the token um, and not only um, do we want to deploy a token in the model of incenting the community to help build that back file but importantly we want the community to have ownership in that solution because, and you probably know this, you know, the community has helped build some of these solutions over time. Um, they have, uh, you know, they've, they've built Mendeley, they've, they've built ResearchGate, they've built academia.edu, you know, they have kind of come together and, you know, provided content and et cetera, et cetera. And then, um, you know, they, the community generally got fairly dissatisfied when Reed Elsevier bought Mendeley, right? Mm -hmm. um, and because they basically said, hey, we helped build this and all of a sudden it's owned by Reed Elsevier and, you know, are they going to start charging us and wait a second, what's going on here? And so a big part of our model and a big part of what we want to do is make sure that the community owns what they help build. So what we are going to do is we're going to start with a machine um, curated index. Um, and so we'll, um, we've been, you know, talking with and um, working with um, Microsoft Academic. Um, and, you know, so we want to start with that as a core. Then through um, a token and the various levels of token incentives and, you know, quality checks and, you know, a bunch of stuff that we've thought through pretty well, um, basically incent the community to come in and help fix and augment that machine curated index. So, I mean, we all know, you know, like Google Scholar, I mean, that they pick up a lot of things, but a lot of this stuff needs a little bit of support to make it uh, better. So, you know, you come in and you fix some stuff or you add some things or you, you know, you take, um, you, you know, you take abstract out as an author, right? Sometimes that's happening, you know, just stupid stuff like that. Then we're gonna compensate you in tokens. Um, those tokens, um, represent uh, will represent actually ownership in that uh, backfile index, mm -hmm. uh, and then um, and that backfile index um, will be held in what's called a benefit corporation. And if you know, obviously you know Patagonia. You're wearing a Patagonia thing there. I think I've seen that right. Um, yep. <laughs> you know that's a benefit. Uh, Pat Patagonia is a is a B corp, a benefit corporation, which. Um, you know, basically means that part of their charter is to do public good, um, but they're for-profit entity. But anyway, this will be held um, in a benefit corp, and part of the part of the public good that this benefit corp will be chartered with is funding research. So, you know, a, a revenue split will be given to that benefit corp, and part of that profit then will go to fund research. So the benefit corp will do a call for research. Um, the the owners, the token holders will, um, you know, they will basically vote on which proposals ought to be funded. And then profits will be allocated to fund that research. 
I'm, and, uh, and then they will have, you know, the community will have a vote, will have a say, will have ownership in this asset that they help build. And, you know, there's 25, 30 million researchers in the world. Um, if you only get a tenth of a percent, you've got more curatorial capacity um, than any of the leading index players have in any of their um, operations that are, you know, helping curate and make those linkages in a more manual and, and retrospective way. So, you know, and this is tested pretty well with the research community that we've talked to. And we think um, that uh, this will be a pretty quick way to have that comprehensive solution of, you know, the real time element of what's happening right now that the, reput the reputation is its incentive engine. And then the, the, a better, more comprehensive and, and valid backfile where the token is the incentive engine. Mm -hmm. um, does that, does that make sense? It does make sense. It really it makes uh, you know, you, when you first introduced the company, you talked about the incentive program and now I, I fully understand how that system works. And I love the idea of, of splitting the, you know, you talked about the B Corp. I love the companies that give back like that. I'm a big fan a long, long time ago, I, I read a book called Starting Something That Matters by Blake Wingotsky. He's the guy that did Tom's Shoes. And I always keep an eye out for companies that have that kind of a mentality. And so that's just really cool to hear. And it makes perfect sense how the token system would work. And the more I, I hear you talk, Courtney, the more I, I see the blockchain piece fitting into all of this and, and see the unique value that you bring to the table. You know, what, another question I have is, you know, I, I've seen research indexes, none with blockchain before. And I'm curious if what the competitive landscape look, looks like for you and if there's a competitor that's similar or if you're just going up against legacy solutions. Well, obviously the legacy solutions are, are you know, good solutions, um, you know, and they, they have a lot of skin in this game, right? They've got a lot of profit coming out of a lot of these things, um, you know, that will ultimately, you know, we think we're going to be able to go after. But there, you know, there's a, a large number of, interesting projects in the broadly, you know, kind of air quotes, blockchain for science space. You know, we're a founding member of, um, you know, the Blockchain for Science Association, I think it's technically called or, or you know, something like that. Um, and there's a, a wide range of projects, um, some that are very ambitious in that they are trying to solve and upend all parts of scholarly communication. You know, they want you know, they want to get rid of all the publishers. They want everything to be 100% open. They want, you know, and they and that they, you know, I think that, you know, very complex token models are going to be able to do that. And then there are others that are, you know, incrementing a bit more as it relates to what they're trying to get at. You know, like digital science, you know, they've got a, a blockchain pilot that they're working on that I think you're aware of probably that's, you know, focused a little bit more on just how could we make peer review more open and the information mm -hmm. around that uh, a bit more transparent. Um, and, you know, so that's an example of something that's taking a specific known issue and, and saying, how could, how could we, you know, bring a different approach to it? We're coming at this in a way that is, we aren't, one, we aren't trying to blow up the entire uh, scholarly communications system we think we are trying that we can augment much of the processes that exist. We aren't trying to say, hey, peer review should go away. Um, mm -hmm. or 
it should be, you know, 100% transparent. I mean, we think there are, you know, there are issues with 100% transparent peer review. I mean, if you're a, if you're a junior researcher reviewing a senior thought leader's paper and you disagree with it, you are very unlikely to publicly disagree with that because that's going to kill your career. Um, you know, so there are, there are valid and good reasons why double blind, um, single and double blind peer review exists. And, you know, and we're not, you know, we're not trying to blow that up, but what we are trying, what we think we can do is we think we can help peer review be more efficient and effective because if you're a peer reviewer and, and you've got one manuscript that you're reviewing that is just a manuscript or you've got another one that is a manuscript plus this whole string of history of everything that has led up to that manuscript, uh, you know, w- which would you rather have? Um, you know, which is going to allow you to more um, effectively evaluate the quality, um, integrity of the research? You know, I, we argue very strongly that it's the latter because you've got this whole history, this whole chronology of, you know, the research project and what was there and, you know, did the data sets change or things P hacked, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, having this chronology is going to be very helpful. You know, there are, we, but uh, going to still onto the competition side, there's several of the projects that, you know, we think um, we will be working with. We've announced some, um, you know, science route um, is a very ambitious project. They're trying to do a lot of things with the ecosystem. Um, but, um, you know, we've announced a partnership with them because we think, we can integrate certain elements of, you know, each other's work, you know, into what we're doing, similar with uh, fractal flows. Um, you know, they are trying to, you know, really do, you know, much more micro claim validation um, with evidence. And, you know, we've um, announced that, you know, we're going to be starting an artifacts, um, an artifacts project with, you know, a lot of these new claims and, you know, so that people can establish a proof of existence and, and also ultimately cite um, a lot of this work as it comes through. And I've got, you know, several conversations with other partners in the space um, underway or potential partners in the space underway. And, and so that's uh, yeah, a little bit of a flavor. There's, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of good thinking happening out there. And, you know, much like, you know, Internet and, uh, you know, in the 90s, you know, we'll see how a lot of these things play out because there's a lot of activity. Yeah, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of garbage and the good ones need to sift up. And <laughs> um, we're seeing a lot of that. And hearing about this, Courtney, and going, the amount of data that you're going to have access to is going to be phenomenal. And that data exhaust is going to be very, very rich and curious if you have any thoughts around that data and building intelligence or products around it. Yeah, absolutely. That is a, that's a core part of what we will ultimately do. Um, will provide, um, I think, a, a new set of types of analytics, um, but there'll be this, you know, what we kind of call a source of truth data set. And, the, and, you know, and this will be incumbent upon us to be better and more thoughtful about what types of, you know, meaningful and useful new analytics we can derive because, you know, much of this data set, you know, it will be, publicly available on a blockchain. So, you know, this citation activity that's going back and forth, we're posting that, you know, we're posting that now, you know, on the blockchain. If somebody wants to pull down a node, um, pull it all down and start doing stuff with it, you know, great. That's, you know, more power to them. Um, You know, and of course, we will have, 
we will have off-chain information, you know, just because of the, you know, the, the nature of the work that we're doing and not everything will be posted to the blockchain, but, you know, a good deal of value will be publicly available and on the blockchain and available for anybody who wants to pull down an observation node and see it. Um, we have, um, we have decided, you know, at least for now that we're going to um, deploy a permissioned blockchain. Uh, we're going to be using a Hyperledger Sawtooth and we'll be getting university and other institutional partners um, to become, you know, part of the trusted nodes, you know, across the globe. And, you know, we've, we've done that, you know, mainly because, as you said, you know, we're going to, at scale, we're going to have a lot of transactions moving across this. Mm-hmm siding transactions and proof of existence transactions and proof of authorship transactions and um, you know a lot of stuff going back and forth and you know ultimately at scale the transact the transaction costs on something like ethereum would be prohibitive mm-hmm. um, and so the permissioned um, blockchain I think allows us to have the distributed nature of you know, having enough people engaged so that, you know, you've got enough stakeholders in it to where there's no particular central authority, but yet, um, you know, bring down the transaction cost to where, you know, it's basically just a university standing up a server that doesn't, that doesn't cost them much. And so it's not a very long putt to get them on board. Um, and then I think what we will probably ultimately do is we will probably post um, uh, some, you know, snapshot elements onto a public chain, um, if the community wants that, um, mm. so we'll be open, obviously, to the voices of the community on this. I love the community element to the company and the access to good information and data that they're going to have as as a result for being a part of the platform. And so that's really exciting to hear. You know, with with a company that's you know leading with blockchain technology, and if with any emerging company just in general, that it's there's always there the fair share of challenges. And I'm curious what the greatest challenges currently are for artifacts and what you see as the greatest challenges right now? Well, so, you know, what, what worries me most is just getting, you know, that network effect going Mm -hmm. Um, because that, you know, ultimately we do need to have enough researchers start to get on here to where that starts to build. Um, And so, you know, we've got, it, it, our challenge is having enough good value in the early product so that we can start to go. And we're, we're probably going to try to go kind of discipline by discipline. Um, at, you know, now, of course, we'll go as broadly as we can, but our, you know, we'll target certain disciplines ultimately so that, you know, we can get a little critical mass and, you know, you know maybe we can get, you know, physics community to, partner with us with archive and, you know, you know, things like that to where, you know, you can start to build, you know, some of those segments of, of, uh, of enough critical mass to where you can see that this thing's really proven out, you know, so we've, as I said, we launched in March uh, on our kind of our first V1 product. Um, and then we've been working now aggressively to get our next launch out, which will be coming in the next several weeks. We're quite excited about everything that will be there, but, you know, better profile, better counting, some basic analytics, you know, things like that. And, you know, but we've got to, we've got to prove enough value for the researchers, um, get them, you know, starting to come on board so that, you know, that network effect can build because we are a hundred percent convinced um, that we get enough of that, you know, that network 
effect happening that our solution um, will be far and above um, what exists in the market and then there'll be you know great value there Mm-hmm. It's the chicken and egg problem. Yep. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, and, and you know, now that doesn't mean that we aren't. You know, while we're trying to build that network effect, which of course is um, obviously very important, we'll also be working on, you know, talking to funders because funders are a big part of that. If we, you know, when we get a couple of funders to say, "Hey, we're going to fund your research, but we want to make sure that you're doing it this way, where you're posting your stuff along the way." Because we as a funder want to, you know, we want to continue to have access to it. We want to see what we're funding. You know, that's going to be another part of the puzzle. You know, so we're going to be coming at this, uh, you know, from several different angles. Mm-hmm. Courtney, you're really in deep with, you know, blockchain technology, which, you know, to me still is a new technology. And I think still to the market, it's very new and interesting to see what is happening. Um, and I'm curious from your perspective and where you stand, uh, what opportunities do you see in the space, whether, whether it's related to blockchain, whether it's related to what artifacts is doing as a company, it's very curious, like what your lens is and what you're seeing. That's, that's interesting. Well, you know, the, the general advantages uh, as it relates to blockchain that I think are appealing is one, I think, I think science and scientists, you know, at it and their core have a, you know, have a bias towards, a more distributed, more open, more accessible um, type of a paradigm. Blockchain has a lot of promise there that I think is, is going to take root. You know, it doesn't mean that there, you know, that everything has to be a hundred percent open and everything, you know, there's, and that publishers are going to go away because, you know, they're not adding value in this new world. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure that's where we are. As I said, I think, we have some good value propositions to help publishers and to help them continue to add value in the whole ecosystem. But at the same time, having, you know, more transparency, more distributed nature of some data uh, where the data sets are more consistent right now. I mean, you can't, there's not a single article you can pull up uh, across any of the various ways you could get a citation count and get the same number. I mean, there is no, you know, there is no consistency. Everybody's got different policies and different editorial boards or different ways to evaluate these things. And so that ultimately, it ultimately isn't helpful, you know, as you try to get all these things and make sense of, you know, where you are, what your reputation is, how are you being evaluated when you come up for tenure, pulling, you know, Scopus, Web of Science, ResearchGate, you know, any of the others, it, it's just, you know, it's a mess. Blockchain has the ability to really help there. And then I think that other couple things that at least are very appealing to me is, you know, I think this, you know, this chain of progress that blockchain handles very well, just because that is at its core, it's, you know, just, it's an append only database type. I think that can, that will ultimately help the reproducibility, integrity issues that science is being called out for more and more. Because as that model starts to grow and build where the standard becomes, hey, I've got a, I'm showing my work along the way. I mean, it's no different than, than geometry in the eighth grade. You know, you just put the answer down. Your teacher in the eighth grade said, well, you probably copied that from next door. You don't need to <laughs> um, But, you know, you show your work along the way. That's just a more, that's just a more valid, meaningful, substantial submission. 
if you're a publisher or if you're evaluating research. As that becomes more and more the standard, I think what we'll see is we'll just see a better quality of research. We'll see stuff where reproducibility is built in from the beginning because, well, here's my research proposal. Here are my protocols. Here's my surveys. Here's, you know, here's everything along the way. You want to go reproduce it. Guess what? You've got everything you need to reproduce it. You've and then got the manual. Find, yeah, you've got the manual. And if, and if you find an error, you found an error. You didn't find, you know, you didn't find fraud you know, many examples of that that are, you know, in the scientific literature now. And so I think it has the potential, you know, again, at that macro level, to improve the quality of, of research that we're getting. And, you know, at its heart, we're all paying for it because, you know, taxpayers are funding so much of the research now that, you know, it ultimately it can, can improve the quality and it can, can, and can improve the velocity of research because, you know, the process now is very slow, very time delayed. And when you're thinking about things that save lives, you know, speeding that stuff up has real, has real value. You know, that element of, you know, some of the things that are the promise of blockchain are very appealing. To me. I really like your going back to your point around, I said the manual and it really is. And I think about it just, uh, you know, take a, a developer standpoint, if they get access to a code base without any documentation, Life is life is hell. <laughs> so um, that ability to to see the process and to see the thinking behind an answer, I think as well, will be incredibly valuable. And I greatly look forward to that too. And, you know, Courtney, I I ask every company I talk to that the same two questions, which I really enjoy. It's where do you see your company in the next year, and then where do you see your company in the next five years? That really you know long view. Well, yeah. So, you know, a year from now, I see us having optimistic view of where I think we'll be in a year. Um, we will have a, a good uh, token system working to help us build the back file. And we will have um, several hundred thousand users um, using the prospective system. You know, I think within 24 months, we need to have several hundred thousand on the system to show that, that we've got enough for the network effect building and enough value in the community to, to say we're on our way. You know, in five years, I really think we'll be the leading research discovery and evaluation platform. Five years is enough time for us to have enough people sharing enough work and, you know, having a citation, a, a real citation economy where researchers are building their reputation they are getting more and more comfortable with sharing work. They understand the upside of that. And, you know, we're, and we've made an impact in the world on um, the availability and access to, um, you know, research artifacts. It, the vision and, and direction where the company's going is really exciting. And I'm, I'm excited that I get a seat to watch it all happen. My, my last question for you, Courtney, is, uh, you know, you look through your professional history it's been a massive amount of leadership, both in companies big and, and now in companies small. Much of our audience consists of CEOs as well as up-and-coming leaders that are looking to establish themselves in a leadership role. And I'm curious if you have any advice or thoughts for those leaders um, or those future leaders. Uh, yeah, great question. I don't know. I'm not particularly good at giving advice like that, but you know, <laughs> but the stuff that comes to mind on that is, be clear on the problem you're trying to solve. Focus on the, the user and the customer, you know, in a very, you know, real and specific way. 
I'm always keeping in mind, you know, what are, what, what is that core problem? What are those core visions? Um, and be aligned with that in everything you do. That's certainly how we are trying to come at it with artifacts. It's how I've tried to come at it with other, you know, products that I've built and, you know, other organizations that I've run. Um, but at artifacts, we are, you know, really trying to stay very close, you know, to the vision that we have, making sure that we can add value to the researchers, that we can add value to the other constituents that we know, you know, we ultimately, you know, have to provide value to. And then, you know, and design the, design the product to do that in as elegant and easy to use way as possible. You know, that's, uh, I'll put that in the for what it's worth category. Courtney, where can people find more about artifacts? Where can people find more about you after this episode to just learn more, more about the company, what you're working on? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I just point everybody to, uh, to the website, um, artifacts.ai. Um, there you can, you know, a nice little link at the front thing, go to the system. You could go in, you can um, see the product as it works and lives and breathes today. You can set up a project, you can add collaborators, you can, you know, you've got a document you want to transact on the blockchain, you can do that if that's your first time. You can see a, a hash be made and see it uh, pop out on the blockchain. Um, and um, you can, you know, start to explore. Uh, and then check back often because, as I said, we'll be launching uh, uh, kind of our new version here in the next uh, couple weeks. Uh, and uh, then, as all, and you know, to anybody, you know, we'd love to hear feedback. Um, you know, info at artifacts.ai will basically always hit my inbox, uh, as well as you know, a couple others. And you know, I respond to all of those. And uh, happy to hear you know what's happening here. Follow us on Twitter as well. Um, and, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, your interest and uh, I hope to hear some feedback. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Ounce Cell for Sharps. For more information on Artifacts and Courtney, visit their website, artifacts.ai. Again, that's artifacts.ai. You can find all the information on the team and the company there. And they also have, of course, a few profiles on the social media channels of the world. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For more information on Outsell, visit us at our website, outsellink.com. You can also find more information about the podcast there as well. We also have our 300 companies that we've identified as emerging companies that you should be keeping an eye on, as well as the list of 50 companies to watch. Again, that's 50 companies that we have rated and ranked and made sure that you keep a very close eye on. So you can find all those companies there as well. Again, just a huge thanks to everybody that listens to this podcast. Without you, this would not be possible. And we would love your thoughts and feedback as always. If you want to share any thoughts and feedback or have a company that you think we should cover, please send them our way. Send us a note in a bottle, give us a buzz on the phone, send me a message or pigeon, any way you want to get a hold of me. We would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Ben Sampson. This is Outsell for Startups. You'll be hearing again from us soon. 